0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ted Jones World Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. This gentleman I'm about to introduce is an ultra running legend. Just last week, he completed his 50th 100 mile race. Yes, you heard me correctly. 100 miles by foot. Everyone, please welcome Jeff Browning. Jeff, all the way from Arizona, man. How are you, dude?
1: I'm great, man. Good to be on. So Jeff, I, uh,
0: I've i gotten the running bug, I'd say, probably over like the last six months. And just throughout my, throughout my life, I've been an athlete. I played tennis at UConn. So running was always a big part of uh, training, you know, weight training and then running. But I'd say within like the last three or four years, I've actually kind of just gotten this newfound love for the run. And uh I just wanted to get you on here cuz what you've accomplished is amazing. So, I guess we'll just we'll start off with that first question. How did you how did you get the nickname Bronco Billy? Let's go from there, dude. Uh
1: when I was first getting into the sport, um I'd come from a climbing climbing and cycling background and I had a buddy from Wyoming that I used to climb with and he had this kind of catchphrase he'd always say "Giddy up." And it kind of stuck because we used it for everything. So and I grown up on a farm in Missouri and I moved to Denver and we were climbing at the time, my wife and I. And and we would always say stuff like, you know, if you're about to make a move on a climb and you're like, you know, you you're belaying someone, you'd be like, Giddy up, you know. And so we did I was in the habit of using that from the climbing from the climbing days. We're using the word giddy up. And I my first friend in ultra running, one of my first friends, he was kind of a mentor, this guy, um, jason moyer claimed to be from um a direct descendant of the berserker tribe right so he he claimed to be a viking and and he is very viking looking you know big red goatee and and blondish hair but i used to call him berserker and because i was yelling giddy up all the time and um that kind of stuff when we were like stoked he would say he would say, he started calling me Bronco Billy. I don't know where he got it. (laughs) He just started calling me that. You know, I'd call him Berserker and he called me Bronco Billy and I would say stuff like, get your battle axe, Berserker. You know, and he would say, you know, he would say that all the time. And then when um, blogs came around in like 2004, I got like, I was a graphic designer and a branding person. And I was like, okay, well, jeffbrowning.com wasn't available. And I wanted to write these blogs about, my experiences in these long races and 100 mile races. My family in the Midwest was like, What the heck are you doing? You know, doing 100 mile races. And so I was doing race reports and those, those got really popular, but they didn't have. So Jeff Browning wasn't available. So I like started looking at all these things and I finally found Go Bronco Billy. I found Bro- Bronco Billy wasn't available, but I was like, Oh, well, go Bronco Billy. I wanted an action word. You know, what if I couldn't run anymore? What if I can only bike? You know, it, it couldn't be like run Bronco Billy. Right. So, so I that's where it came from. And then blogs got popular. And then I was a designer and in tech. And so I automatically, when smartphones came out, I was an early adopter of all the social media stuff. And so I got all the social media handles as well. And um, that's how Bronco Billy kind of took on it. And then after a while, man, people just some of the key people in our sport, which is a pretty small community, even extended across the West. They started calling me Bronco all the time. And so the nickname Bronco kind of stuck. You know, people would be, see, here people in the races, they wouldn't even call me by my real name. They just call me, they'd be like, you're like, go Bronco, you know, and stuff like that. So do you, do you think that's also like tapping into a different personality? You know, well, I, this is a good question because yeah. I love this question when you send it to me because I did in the early days, I jokingly used it. Right. But I didn't realize now I've done a lot of mindset training. And as a coach, you train. That's one of the things you're training ultra runners with is mindset and like visualization and and like that kind of stuff. And I didn't realize at the time, but that's really what I was doing. Um, Inadvertently, I was like creating this ultra ego that you know i used to joke that like okay i don't let bronco billy out of the stable until the second half of the race because he wants to race early and you so can't nice, race like mile
0: 50, mile 51 during those 100s or i guess yeah. mile 121 when you do the moab 240 yeah, exactly
1: and... don't let him out like don't let him out of the stable he's like stomping chomping at the bit you know <laughs> he wants to go and you're like no hold it back hold him back so in the early days, it was kind of a, a, it was definitely a little bit of a joking alter ego. Um, it was more for humor, but yeah. then it became kind of a, it became kind of a personality thing too. Well, I think. before before you ran that first one
0: hundred mile race, though, what was the most amount of miles that you had ran previously? Whether it was just like by yourself in Arizona, <laughs> or maybe like a fifty mile run, was there like was there a certain shift where you were like? Well, a hundred miles sounds crazy to everybody I know and anyone who I've ever talked about it, except for maybe some of these ultra runners. Like when did a hundred miles become a possibility in your mind?
1: When my first friend, I moved to Bend, Oregon in 2000. And my first friend in town was an ultra runner, had just started dabbling in ultra marathons and had done marathons. And um, I I had worked in a bike shop in college, bike shop, um, a bike shop running shop. It was like the specialty running start in Columbia, Missouri, where I went to U- University of Missouri. And one of the things that um, the the owner had run, he had run uh, Boston like 25 times. So I always had this thing in my head, like someday I'll run a marathon, you know, one of those kind of like, you know, check it you off. The- just like the 26.2? Yeah. I had always said I was going to do that, but then I met this guy and he worked for the North Face at the time as a manager. And he had this video that North Face created in like 99, I think, 99 or 2000. I can't remember exact year but it was this little documentary he had on VHS tape. And, um, we, we were, wa- we had watched it. It was a documentary on Western States 100. And for me, I was like, Whoa, what people run a hundred miles. I'm mm-hmm. like, how many days? And he's like, no dude, like sub 24 hours. And I was like, what through the night. And so something in me, I've always been a venturous outdoor person. Right. And something in me was like, I want to do that. I don't know what it was. I, and, and I thought at the time it was just like, hey, you know, bucket list, check, check it off, go run 100 miles one time. But I started training and I realized that you couldn't get in that race. It was a lottery. So you had to have a 50 at the time. It's now 100K. But you had to have a, a 50 mile um, qualifier. Is that kind of like the Barkley situation? No, Barkley's oh, even God. more crazy because you have to write an essay why you should be in the race. Right. There is no like he decides who's in. It's got a really fun. It's got, a, it's its own beast. Um, you know, it's not even in the same category as other ultras. And, um, and so it was just a lottery in November. And so I realized like, well, wow, I've never ran a fit. I'd never even run a 50 K at that point. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to run a 50 in 2001. I decided I ran a marathon in, in fall of 2000, Used that training to piggyback to a 50 K trail race in February of one. And then from, from there, I just ran And like a a couple 50 K's. Then I ran a 50 miler at the end of the summer to get my qualifier in August before the November lottery. And then that got me into Western States. I got in, in the lottery and ran my first hundred in 2002. So I ran like, you know, 50 K's, 50 milers, hundred K. I kind of did the stair step thing in training. So when I was talking about hundred,
0: it wasn't that big a deal sorry to interrupt again, but like the, the stair step thing, you know, you'll hear people maybe who are just average everyday runners. They'll be like, all right, I want to run a half marathon, you know, something in New York city, people want to run the Brooklyn half. And then I'd say over 50% of the people that run that Brooklyn half are like, I am never running that distance again. Then maybe the other 50% are like, all right, I want to run that, you know, New York city marathon, the full marathon. Right. And It just, it seems like the the crowd just keeps getting narrower and narrower. What's like after your first 50K, um, was there a mindset where you were like, oh, dude, I'm cruising. Like, I want to keep running. I want to keep, uh, keep building. What was your mindset like after that first 50K? I,
1: I was hooked. I had come from mountain biking. I was a big mountain biker. And I, I, I kind of considered myself a cyclist more than I considered myself anything else other sport and that was my main sport and then i climbed a little i backpacked and i did other things but i the the simplicity of trail running and like light fast it it kind of combined backpacking running um cycling and climbing into one discipline where it's like light and fast i can go summit that mountain and be back down for happy hour right and whereas we used to like, oh, man, we would have a big old pack on and we're slogging that thing out. And it's an all day event. You're like, oh, yeah, I can go knock that out in three or four hours. And and so I really loved the simplicity and like kind of the it was just such a simple, clean sport that way, really light. And back then the gear wasn't even that light, but now it's super light. But but it still was light for, compared to everything else. And so, I think that's what really drew me to the sport in the first place.
0: And it seems like nowadays you're running a hundred miles. I race like every three or four months. Is that, is that about right?
1: Yeah. Um, it's usually sandwiched into the season. So like this year I've already done, I've done four hundreds. I got two more to go. Um, this is a, a project. I turned 52 uh, next week okay. and, Happy um, birthday. and yeah, thanks. Um, and so at the beginning of the season, when I was trying to turn in, like what I was going to do for sponsors, I kind of had to turn in like at my, my tentative schedule for the year. I was going to run coca 250 because I ran Moab 240 last year. My wife was like, you are so hammered after a 200 mile race. She's like, I don't want you to do coca this year. And so knowing me, she just said, "You don't you turn 52 this year and you have 4,600 mile finish. <laughs> You're getting finishes. younger. You're getting younger. Yeah. And she's like, you just, you just, don't you just need like 600 mile finishes to equal your age? And I was like, yeah. And so I immediately like an untrained hound dog went on a different scent. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do six hundreds this year. Um, And so I decided to do 600 mile races to equal my age in finishes
0: during during a race like the moab 240 uh for those of you who don't know what i'm talking about 240 mile race in the in the basically desert i'm going to put the link uh to the video that i actually first uh discovered the beast that is bronco billy in uh this description right here so check that out after you guys listen to this but was there like during certain moments of this race you know you know you're being filmed you know that you're supposed to take a 30 minute nap every bro i don't know what is it every 20 hours is there like any part of you that is like i i cannot do this
1: there was never a part of me that said i can't do it there was a there was definitely challenges that were beyond the 100 mile distance i mean at that point Not i was very like seasoned,
0: that
1: yeah very seasoned in the 100 mile distance and i knew from coaching it there's a lot of like I knew some of the things to do to like minimize those mistakes. But if you make small mistakes on day one, they compound and, you know, 48, 60 hours in, they really, really catch up to you. You you talked about that. What's the, what's a
0: small mistake though that can happen?
1: Okay. I'll give you an example. It was really, really hot. And I chose to wear a micro wool sock instead of like a cool max stock, which then my feet because wool it does breathe it is a good fiber but it also insulates i got heat rash on my feet which then i had little heat blisters all over my feet and that and and
0: like on the bottom of your feet is that what really no it
1: was like around my heel and kind of around on the top of the foot like around the ankle and around your cuff of your shoe so it's just super uncomfortable and i had to like stop and i had to doctor it and tape it um and had I just ch- chosen a different sock, I probably would have been fine. So that was like a learning experience. In that situation, it was like, well, yeah, you, little things make you catch up. And so, or like for example, if you you, were, you know you're starting to get a hot spot or something, and you you would ignore it, right? And you're like, oh, I'm gonna get at the next aid station that's ten miles away. No, you stop right there, sit on a rock, and take care of it. So little things, you don't let them fester in those races because they, so you, you're carrying like a little tiny blister kit with you in a Ziploc bag, you know, it's like very bare minimum. And so you can actually take care of things on the fly. You talk about the little mistakes. Are there, do
0: you have a certain diet before each race, like 24 hours out? Like I know that it's probably pretty specific the morning of the race, the night before the race, but is there like week long where you have like a set amount of food, how many miles you're going to run since you've done it? so? Yeah, there's
1: a, I mean, we always two week taper pretty much 10 days to four, 12 days. I, you know, you're backing off on your volume 50 to 60%. Um, And so you're peaking, you know, two to or basically three to six weeks out with a lot of volume. And then you taper that volume down by 50 percent the last two weeks. So you're really shutting it down to kind of bring around all that adaptation from the big block of of training because you have a bunch of cumulative fatigue that's covering up adaptation. And when you when you taper that rest, that minimizing or less half the volume you're normally used to, all of a sudden, like all that strength and adaptation shows up. So that's one of the things you kind of typically do in, in, in long endurance stuff. But the other, the other piece for me, diet wise is kind of important, especially at my age. I had a pretty major shift in 2015, um, to more of an animal based diet. So I'm pretty much, uh, you know, I, I just concentrate on what animal proteins I'm taking in every day. And then I eat fruit and vegetables. So and starch is like potatoes. I don't do grains. I don't do sugar in every diet or at least 90 percent of the time. Now, that leaves a couple of meals a week to like let it loose and go have pizza and beer or something. But um, like one meal out or something. But, you know, 90 percent of the time, I'm kind of really focused on an animal based diet, kind of more paleo, but high protein. Pro- protein's the focus. There's been a lot of studies in endurance sports and um, protein. High protein, 1.2 to 1.3. Yeah. 1.2 to 1.3 grams per pound of body weight.
0: Now, is there uh let's say you wake up on a Wednesday, a day like uh in two days from now, you ran the hundred-mile race last week. Is there a certain amount of miles that you will know to run in your head, or is it
1: kind of more like how you feel each day? Go how by that... feel. You're what going you by feel. You're going by feel. I'm trying to get back to our maintenance runs this week. So like I I ran on Saturday. I ran yesterday, like 35 minutes. Um, And then I'll go run easy today and lift weights. I lift weights three days a week um, in the gym, full body. Um, And so, and I do mobility on those days too. So I'm doing mobility and strength in the gym together. Um, I'm kind of doing them in tandem. So I immediately get back onto. When you're running for an hour, what's your pace there? Like conversational pace. So like whatever I could carry on a full conversation, full sentences, you know, for me, that's about a nine, nine something minute pace um, to be able to carry on a conversation. Um, It can be down in the eights, but most of the time it's eight, nine minute pace, somewhere in there. What would be your
0: advice for a person who is running, let's say around like 20 miles per week? Is there a mix of the strength training and mobility that you need to implement Is there like a certain speed that will be better for maintaining muscle because I know that people who especially being in um, I guess a place like New York where people are at the gym together people will see other people on runs you know like in Arizona when you're going on these long runs, maybe the only thing you're seeing is a bobcat in the distance, (laughs) or you know you're not seeing like a lot of people so I think that. Being in a place like, you know, I've spent some time in LA, Miami, New York, people are really focused on being that hybrid athlete. Is there something that specific that people should focus on in terms of maintaining the muscle and then also maintaining your cardio fitness?
1: Yeah, strength, I would say, you know, number one for longevity is strength training. Like if you can have a regular full body strength training routine that you can do in the gym, two to three days a week, three days a week is probably ideal. If you're doing full body, that way you just go get everything done. And even if you get busy two or three days later, you go do the full body again and, and just hit the gym, you know, three days a week um, and then run and then run whenever, you know, if you can run four or five days a week, easy 30, 20 to 40 minutes, that's kind of the ideal scenario for longevity. And, and, and then mixing in good nutri- real food nutrition um, I think is really important. I mean, if I were going to pick one thing, it would be strength training and strength training and mobility goes with it. Because when you're strength training, you're working on a full range of motion. Um, You should be at least and concentrating on good movement patterns. I think some people get in the gym and just throw weights around. I'd rather see people slow down and like through the full range. So a lot of people, you know, you'll see guys, muscle heads, like drop weight, but you get 70% of your strength gain lowering. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they slam it down. It's like, dude, <laughs> my first thing as a coach is like 70% of your strength gain is in the lowering of the weight. So people are giving up all their strength, a lot of their strength gains by by dropping weights, you know, by letting gravity do its thing. No, you need to control the weight. So if you're doing bench press or whatever, Right. You should be controlling the weight on the way down, not dropping it on your chest. Yeah. And then I
0: also I heard you also talking about mobility and running these long races where maybe there'll be a drop and you need to your body needs to adjust quickly to like that jerk of the motion where like if you hadn't been doing mobility stuff and you're just running on a flat surface, that could be an issue where you'd get injured.
1: And that's where people as they age get injured, right? Because they go into a range of motion they're not used to. So if you're if you know if you trip and you go to catch yourself, and you don't have good, you can't lunge, then you try to catch your body, and you end up breaking a hip, right? Yeah. Or a shoulder or something. Whereas if you've been doing mobility, and you can go all the way down in full range of motion, and your calf can touch your hamstring, right? I don't know if you're familiar with knees over toes guy, Ben Patrick, great mobility guy on on like knee health, and like jumping, and um, and keeping that that movement pattern going that's one of the motions I work on a lot in running is that knees over toes. So it's like the deep forward lunge. He calls it the ATG split squat. Um, And if you can't do an ATG split squat, you're going to go down. And it's the same in trail running. If you kick a rock or a root while you're running downhill and you go from running 10 minute pace to running five minute pace, trying not trying and doing a Superman, trying not to face plant, you know, the guy who has good mobility is probably going to pull out of that. And the and the runner who hasn't been working on mobility is just goes out and runs every day is going to go down and eat dirt, right? So and then get injured because you went down. So like it 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 actually saves you. Your it lowers your risk too by focusing on that.
0: I want to talk about the Moab 240. You so you ran that and correct me if I'm wrong. 57 hours, correct? 57. 57 something. 57 and a little change.
1: 57. 27,
0: I think. But your naps and the uh, amount of time that you're actually conscious, like, do you, do you, I, I know you change into Bronco Billy, but what does your mindset kind of look like after that that first hundred miles and is your team telling you, no, Jeff, you got to, you got to nap here for 30 minutes, like you're ready to go do you kind of know is it all based on feeling kind of like how you were talking about yeah
1: we had a general sleep plan and then i was kind of by the seat of my pants on other because it was my first 200 plus yeah so i did and in hindsight i there's other things that like i coach mike mcknight who's won a bunch of 200s and and sarah ostazuski won um uh cocodona 250 for the women this last year or this year um and she just won ura 100 like both of them we all trade notes because we're all racing up front so we're all trying to like we're trying to fine-tune because 200s are so new the original kind of um thought pattern behind strategy for racing was like go for 36 to 40 hours without sleeping and then take naps you know take a nap and then take naps as needed short little tiny naps to get to the finish line but what we're finding is actually if you if you sleep on night one, most people skip night one. If you sleep a little on night one and trick your body and say, hey, we slept, even if it was only like 20, 40 minutes, 20 to 40 minutes, somewhere in that range, enough to trick the body in the middle of the night <laughs> that, hey, we got sleep, you know, and then you go back into the next day and you sleep one more time and then you get in race mode. Another, the last-
0: another 20
1: to 40 minutes slumber, you mean? Yeah, something like another 20 to 40 minutes up to an hour some i've had a couple athletes that are fast like take an hour nap on night two and then that gets them through night two and then they hopefully are finishing on day three so so that'll get them to day three so and then if they can get in race mode the last 60 miles if there's people around them and in the you know say they're racing for the win that gets you like keeps you awake because there's an adrenaline rush that goes along with the race mentality how how delirious do you get during any of these races you can get really like, okay, give you like a case study. Last year, I knew a guy who's a really, really good runner. He's got 150 ultra marathon finishes. Um, he, he came to Moab for his first 200, but he didn't have a very good sleep strategy. So he just tried to push through without hardly sleeping. He started hallucinating so bad. He thought he heard a woman screaming off the trail and we have a spot tracker on. And so race headquarters and there's a website and everybody can is is that like an air tag so they know where you're at yeah so it's basically just a gps tracker that's putting up pinging a signal every like few minutes and that way and it's on a you know on a website shows the course and shows where you are on the course well they knew because of the spot tracker he left the trail to go after this woman to help her okay this is an imaginary woman she does not exist okay so he's off trail they watched the spot tracker leave the tr- leave the course so they send a volunteer um who is who is a medical person who was used to dealing with this went out to find him they found him and he kept saying do you hear her screaming we've got to help her right i mean he's frantic we have to help her and and the guy who was the volunteer was like um, we sent someone to get her they were helping oh my God. We got to get you back on course. So they lead him back to course, get him to the next checkpoint, and they make him sleep for like five hours or something. Did you you remember that? After the race, he was like still a little out of it. And we chatted and he was like, man, he goes, I have never experienced that before. He's like, he goes, after that, I didn't know when they, when they made me sleep. And then I woke up and I realized how much I'd been hallucinating. He goes from that point forward to the finish. He finished the race. But he was like, he still was like, wasn't sure what was reality and what was like, what was fake. Like if someone was talking to him, was he imagining it after yeah. that experience? He said it was real. Like it was a trip. Yeah. so,
0: is that so that's, crazy. Something that had, yeah, that's something that happens that I'm sure way less of a, of a, of a distance, especially for well, like
1: Okay. People. Let me give you one more example. This one's a good one because this guy right now is about to finish Tahoe 200. I have four athletes right now, finishing Tahoe 200. One's finished. He got second. Um, I got another one that's about in 20th and he he has a chance to like move up to 15th, but he's from the UK, Scott Jenkins. He would not mind me using his name. Um, He's a great bro. And he, he went to Moab for the first time. He's finished multiple 200s now, Cocodona, Moab a couple times, but his first time before he had coaching, he just showed up to Moab to go do it. And he, he didn't have any sleep strategy, so he didn't sleep. And he just kept pushing through, pushing through, pushing through, pushing through. Finally, his wife, who's Scottish, is like super, super uh, 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 competitive. So she decides the last, he gets to like mile 220 something. So he's got like 18 miles to go. He needs to sleep bad. At this point, he is strung out. He should sleep. But she pushes him out of there. He gets into hallucination mode so bad that he thinks she's a witch.
0: No way. Are they still still married, by the way?
1: They are. (laughs) She's a witch. We're done. Yeah, well, she was like, she was like, what the, and she said she was running from her, yelling, I know who you are. You're a witch. And like, he's running and she, and she's like, he's faster than I am. And I couldn't catch him even after 200 and something miles. And so he finally goes into this big rock alcove, almost like a little cave on the, right off the trail. And he won't come out. So she's standing there looking like on the trail and a friend of mine from Logan, Utah, who I have known for a long time as a race director, he was running the race. He comes, this guy, Jason Wooden comes running up and he goes, he goes, what are you doing? And she's like, and he's in that, there, you know, freaking out in the cave. And she's like, I can't get him to come out. He's hallucinating. And she, and he goes, Hey buddy, you want to come out? And he's like, no, I'm not coming out. And he goes, I got a peanut butter cookie. And he goes, <laughs> You have a cookie? Okay, I'm coming out. And so he coaxes him out with a peanut butter cookie. And, <laughs> and they become fast friends. Because he's got the cookie. And, Hilarious. And but even from that point forward, like getting him back and got him sleep, and then he wasn't hallucinating anymore. And then him and Wooden have been good friends ever, ever since. Wooden's paced him in my lab. So like and crude for him. So they they became fast friends after that experience. But that's an example of like if you don't manage yourself early, yeah, it catches up to you later. the little <laughs> mistakes, yeah, right that sounds you like, guess, like, that's like straight experience, right? yeah, and and knowing yourself, some people need more sleep. some people can get by on less. You know some people can fall asleep anywhere. Some people need like a specific routine to get themselves down because their brain won't shut down um and that kind of thing. but you. That's very unique to to 200 plus distance, right? In 100 milers, you're going straight through. It's one night, you know, except at Hard Rock, it's two nights for the back of the pack because it's a 48 hour cutoff. So there's two nights out. But and and every once in a while in 100, people will take short little power nap in the middle of the night, 20, 20, 40 minutes um, to get themselves kind of back on track if caffeine's not working. But that's more for the middle of the back of the pack up front. We're not stopping at all. We don't rest. We just run straight through what's the next race that you're preparing for um i'm doing the rocky mountain slam so it is um i'm doing i did bighorn in june um i did hard rock in july and then i have um, wasatch 100 and bear 100 three weeks apart in september so about another
0: seven weeks damn jeff so w- with all of these accomplishments and running being an absolute legend out there dude like I just, I just got to say the mindset and, you know, like I'll tell people, you know, I'm working out every day. I'm waking up before 5am on some days and people will just look at me and be like, why? I cannot imagine (laughs) how many times you've gotten the why? And I could just, I can only think, man, that it's just deep inside of you. So do you have another running goal in mind that you're working towards, or maybe you want to run the 300 mile race? You want to see like How far you can get? What is your, what's your mindset going forward after completing all these things?
1: I'm I'm definitely taking another crack at the 200 plus. Okay. Yeah. I'm taking another crack at the 200 plus. I signed up for Cocodona 250 um, here in Arizona in May, a big 250 mile race um, that starts the way down in Black Canyon city and works the way up and finishes in downtown Flagstaff. Um, I ran the 125 this last year. They had an inaugural 125. They're adding other distances to the race week of 250. So they added a 125 and like a 36 miler. Um and I did the 125. So like for me I'm just at this point I'm just racking up kind of career stats, you know. Um 40 plus 40 plus ultra wins. I'm at 2900 mile wins and I'm trying to get, you know, trying to obviously get to 30 as a minimum. I'm second in the world for 100 mile wins right now. Carl Meltzer is way ahead of me. He's got like 47 wins, but he was winning back when like it wasn't as competitive as it is today the sport's grown so much in the last decade um it's gotten way more competitive so it's harder to get wins um but he's got like such a huge stat you know as far as a record goes it's probably untouchable um but we'll see i mean maybe i can keep plugging away for the next decade I, i i think you're gonna keep
0: plugging away man I'll keep I'll try. I would love to see you in action, man. So hopefully we'll stay in touch. Yeah, let me know
1: if you're ever in Flagstaff. We'll get, get on a trail. For sure. Jeff,
0: thank you so much, man. And uh we'll see you guys soon. Thank you everybody for watching and tuning in, Jeff.
1: Giddy up. Giddy up.